I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A friend reminded me of the TV series China Beach, and now I'm hoping 64-year-old unmarried Dana Delaney would be interested in dating a 48-year-old comedian. My name is Justin Hamilton, and let me be your thinking woman's toy boy on the latest Big Squid. chat today with comedian and host of the Don't You Know Who I Am podcast, Josh Earl. We're not only chatting music, but he's also given me permission to play you one of his songs that he's only performed live before. So that's a really nice treat for us today. Before we get into that, just a quick reminder that our live Big Squid show is this Saturday, October 3rd at 7pm. You can come down to see the show in person at the new Giant Dwarf venue in Surrey Hills, or you can stream us live. So wherever you are in the world, you can be a part of the experience. A big shout out to Linda, who let me know she's in Florida which means it is a a 5am show for her, so we'll try to keep the noise down so we don't wake Linda's neighbours. I can't promise anything. I'm going to be excited just to see people. But we'll do our best, Linda. We'll do our best. This show is testing the waters and a bit of an experiment to see if you'd like to have more of these types of shows in the future. So the bigger the number, the more chance I can produce more of these specials for you. It's been fun to put together, so hopefully it's something that you want to be a part of in any way that you can join in. If you'd like to share the link with your friends and like-minded people, it would be greatly appreciated. It's an action-packed show with Richard Feidler discussing his new book about Prague, Georgia Mooney talking about her love of Joni Mitchell, and she's also going to play us a song. Cal Wilson's friend Adele is going to be joining us from Melbourne. Ben Elwood is discussing the different type of cinema experiences he had with Cats and Tenet. <laughs> and Beck Dayunamuno discussing her impro career before Beck Melrose and I gently launch a new segment idea called Trophy Night. Big show. 
we'll endeavour to keep it at a tight hour. God, we've got improvisers all over the place, including myself. So we will endeavour <laughs> to keep this to an hour, I promise. There's probably shows on after us at Giant Dwarf, and you don't want to be those types of arseholes that puts everyone else out. But as I said, the more people we can have watching in the venue or from anywhere in the world will let me know if you want more of these types of shows. And also we'll encourage Giant Dwarf to uh, maybe make it a, a regular monthly show, which would be a really fun thing to do. You can find all your ticketing information at giantdwarf.com.au. Now, before I bring in Josh, I wanted to review two things for you. The first is a graphic novel I read a couple of months ago that I've been meaning to talk to you for a while. You may have heard of the writer Ed Brubaker, a star of the comic book scene who wrote some of the best comics that DC and Marvel had seen for a while when he was working for those big companies. And in particular, his run on Captain America was so brilliant and influential. It essentially sowed the seed for the movie Captain America the Winter Soldier. Brubaker has been a fan of the crime genre, and along with the brilliant artist Sean Phillips, they created their own comic book series called Criminal. That first began way back in October of 2006, and for the last 14 years, this dynamic duo have produced countless classic stories, so when they release something new, it feels to me like an event. Their first story, Coward, told the story of Leo Patterson, a pickpocket who ends up involved in an armoured car heist that turns out to be something he is really not expecting. Their pitch-perfect noir storytelling can branch out in many different directions, including Fatale, which follows an archetypal femme fatale who appears to be immortal, Incognito, about a completely amoral man with superpowers who's trapped in witness protection, and The Fade Out, a story set in 1948 about a Hollywood screenwriter who was suffering from PTSD while being a front for his blacklisted best friend. They're all brilliant stories, and if you haven't heard of these guys before, I would recommend you give any of their comics or graphic novels a go. Their latest work is a graphic novel called Pulp. Set in New York City in 1939, Max Winter is an ageing pulp writer who tells classic stories about gunslingers and their many adventures. What people don't realise is that these stories aren't quite fictional. Instead, they're inspired by Max's adventures when he was young and an outlaw with his brothers, living their life on the western frontier. Max has been making a living for a while, but the industry is beginning to change and his income is drying up. And what makes matters worse is that his health is also becoming an issue in an indifferent world. So when someone from Max's past contacts him about robbing Nazis who are on the verge of their Times Square rally, Max jumps at the opportunity to not only make one last bit of coin, but also feel like he's in charge of his life again. Sean Phillips' artwork is really beautiful, with the scenes in New York dripping with shadows and muted colours that reflect the typical city life. Meanwhile, the stories set in the past on the frontier are warm, brighter, revealing a life that exists below an open sky, infused with the four-colour look of the magazines that were printed in the day. The colouring by Jacob Phillips is a character in itself, helping to transition from the claustrophobia of the city to the widescreen vistas of the open plains. Brubaker's script is taut and muscular, but it is also poetic and melancholic. Max is a man who lives in a cruel world where the bad guy often wins, unlike the cowboy stories he tells for the masses. 
This graphic novel evokes the legacy of the frontier, carefully prodding the myths and stories we believe to be true, while also casting an eye on the way fascism can rise before your very eyes. This is a beautiful homage to a hard-boiled world, and I found myself lingering on the final page, not quite willing to close the book and finish the story of Max Winter. Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips have done it again, and if you haven't read any of their work, I think Pulp might be a good place for you to start. Secondly, I wanted to let you know where I'm at in my John Cheever short story read. Uh, We've already talked about The Swimmer in a previous podcast, and I've been so flat out with prep for this live show, on top of everything else, that I finally had an opportunity to read my second Cheever story over the weekend. This one is entitled The Enormous Radio, a story about a couple who buy a brand new radio that allows them to eavesdrop on the private conversations their neighbours and fellow tenants are having. Like The Swimmer, this is a story that moves along at a perfect pace with beautiful direct language that still evokes a vivid picture of domestic bliss built on a shaky foundation. It was adapted into a radio play in 1956 and 1991. It was also adapted into an episode of television in the 1987 TV series Tales from the Dark Side. I want to read two short passages for you. First is the opening paragraph. Jim and Irene Westcott were the kind of people who seemed to strike that satisfactory average of income, endeavour and respectability that is reached by the statistical reports in college alumni bulletins. They were the parents of two young children. They had been married nine years. They lived on the twelfth floor of an apartment house near Sutton Place. They went to the theatre on an average of 10.3 times a year and they hoped someday to live in Westchester. Irene Westcott was a pleasant, rather plain girl with soft brown hair and a wide, fine forehead, upon which nothing at all had been written, and in the cold weather she wore a coat of fitch skins dyed to resemble mink. You could not say that Jim Westcott looked younger than he was, but you could at least say of him that he seemed to feel younger. He wore his graying hair cut very short, he dressed in the kind of clothes his class had worn at Andover, and his manner was earnest, vehement, and intentionally naive. The Westcots differed from their friends, their classmates, and their neighbours, only in an interest they shared in serious music. They went to a great many concerts, although they seldom mentioned this to anyone, and they spent a good deal of time listening to music on the radio. How beautiful is that? It's so so perfect and it just sets up this world incredibly well and I love that description of Irene's forehead and the implications behind it. I'd honestly love to write something as perfect as that description at some point. The next paragraph is from the middle of the short story when the radio and what it is broadcasting begins to take a turn emotionally for Irene. The Westcott's overheard that evening a monologue on salmon fishing in Canada, a bridge game, running comments on home movies of what had apparently been a fortnight at Sea Island and a bitter family quarrel about an overdraft at the bank. They turned off their radio at midnight and went to bed, weak with laughter. Sometime in the night, their son began to call for a glass of water and Irene got one and took it to his room. It was very early. All the lights in the neighbourhood were extinguished and from the boy's window she could see the empty street. She went into the living room and tried the radio. There was some faint coughing, a moan, and then a man spoke. Are you all right, darling? he asked. Yes, a woman said wearily. 
Yes, I'm all right, I guess. And then she added with great feeling, But you know, Charlie, I don't feel like myself anymore. Sometimes there are about 15 or 20 minutes in the week when I feel like myself. I don't like to go to another doctor because the doctor's bills are so awful already. But I just don't feel like myself, Charlie. I just never feel like myself. They were not young, Irene thought. She guessed from the timbre of their voices that they were middle-aged. The restrained melancholy of the dialogue and the draught from the bedroom window made her shiver and she went back to bed. What beautiful writing. I know I'm very late to the party with John Cheever and please don't confuse this for me telling you something you probably already know. There's nothing worse than someone smugly saying to you, you know, I'm going to introduce you to one of the greatest pop bands of all time, the Beatles. And you're like, thanks, fuck, where would I be without you? The great thing about all manner of art is that it is there waiting for you for whenever you get to it. And I love when people discover artists or entertainment I like at any point in time. And I'm not only loving the Chiva stories, but also learning from them as well. It's such beautiful writings. Ah, I'm really enamoured with it. If you have any suggestions on which Chiva short story I should read next, please head over to my side at justinhamilton.com.au or our Big Squid Facebook page to share with me whatever you think I should read next. I'd honestly love to hear your thoughts. Okay, let's bring in Josh Earl. I'm a big fan of Josh as an act and a person, and I'm wrapped that he's been kind enough to let me share one of his songs with you. So if you know him as the host of his incredibly successful podcast, Don't You Know Who I Am, but have forgotten that he's also a really funny comedy act, this is going to be a sweet reminder. I'll play the song first, and then we'll get into the chat. So let's listen to Josh with the wedding song. Am 
my table is all quiet and theirs is full of glee because I eavesdrop on their conversation about my area of expertise and that's 80s and 90s sitcoms starring Raven Simone. For those who don't know, she was the actress who appeared in the hit TV show The Cosby Show as Olivia, the stepdaughter of Denise Huxtable, played by Lisa Bonet, who got kicked off the show when she got pregnant because Bill Cosby said he didn't fit the morals of the show. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, eh? He had to come back on the show when they realised that Rudy was getting old and they needed a cute kid, so hence Raven Simone. And the Cosby Show finished in 1992, a season which included an episode where Dr Huxable gave birth to a sandwich and Theo, his son, gave birth to a boat. Yeah, my show got axed. Once the Cosby Show finished, the world thought, what's Raven Simone going to do next? But we didn't have to think very long. She landed the plum roll of Nicole Lee in the hit TV show Hanging Mr Cooper. That ex-NBA player turned substitute teacher with unconventional but totally hilarious teaching methods. Throw on a kid neighbour named Charlie, you yourself some dynamite mid-90s television there. Now it's important I make the switch before the entree serve, though I can sit there all the way, up until they serve dessert, and if anyone asks, I'd say I didn't want the waitress to get confused. So I'm listening quite carefully, trying to find myself an in, maybe can answer one of their questions before they start their googling, like what NBA team did Mr Cooper play for, and to whom did he lose? He played the Golden State Warriors. He wore number seven. He lost the Phoenix Suns, led by Charles Barkley, who dunked on him and said, Welcome to the NBA. Predating the OC, he did a very similar thing in their first episode when Ryan got punched on the beach, and the guy said, Welcome to the OC, bitch. I didn't have to Google any of this. And we'll all get on great, and we'll bag out their DJ. We'll swap numbers and addresses, and we'll plan big trips away. And I'll say, Josh, tell the story how you made the big switcheroo. When I finished, I'll say, We can't imagine our life before we met you. Of course none of this happened, because I didn't change my place. I just sat where I was meant to and I stared off into space, enjoying him on my whole table, and we just play on our phones. And the DJ kept on playing songs from the Grease soundtrack, and the bride's mum tried to show she wanted to get her husband back by making out with the groom's mate and dry humping him to Cotton Eye Joe. Uh-oh, oh no. And you finally came over. And you sat yourself down. You said, look, I'm really exhausted, Josh. I don't think I'm going to stick around. And I said, oh, what, you want to go? Oh, what? Oh, no. Oh, I'm just having fun. Okay, we'll go. Fair enough. Do many people know you as a, as a sporting guy? Because you're, you're, oh. you're a fit dude and you, I've played basketball against you. You've got, <laughs> you've got the skills. But do, is that a part of your personality that people are not across in the comedy world? I think now it is. When I first started, I don't think there was. I think there was like you and those men who we played basketball with. So Alan Bro, uh, who else was like Jesse, Wilson Dixon. Uh, that was a good Angus Bell from Token. Uh, played who else was playing i remember like maybe damien callan a couple of times gavin baskerville it was a good good bunch of guys to saturday morning to go and play basketball at thornbury thornbury high that's right uh cal wilson's husband that's right he was so tall yeah you couldn't get him out of the paint it wasn't but it was good because sometimes they play like you go and play pickup and it's like half court and for a little guy i'm out of the game all right all right i'm passing in but when it's full court and you can run a bit. This is like, all right, great. Now we can actually play a game of basketball how I like to play it, which is a full court game. It, you find out who's fit, who's just going to hog the paint. It's good. But yeah, to back to your question, I think these days, yes. When I first started, because I had 
the the hair and all that kind of stuff. I don't think people realised <laughs> I liked football and basketball. Yeah, you can't you can't like sport and have that haircut at the same time. Definitely came from growing up in a small town where it was like, well, if you either you like sport and adapt, or you don't like sport, and life's a lot harder for you. So I was like, I, I can like sport. My parents like sport. I played basketball, football, did athletics in like high school. I was saying to my wife the other day, like, in my high school years, I had six six days or nights a week where I was training or playing. That's that's so much. And, like, my parents never once went, maybe you should concentrate on your studies. I wish they did. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like me as well. Yeah. Like, I was exactly the same as you where Sunday morning I'd get up really early. I would ride a long way to go to training. I would probably get there, train with my basketball team for an hour and a half, and then I'd hang around and I'd train with another team yeah. because I couldn't get enough of it. And then I would ride all the way home. And then to kind of chill out, I'd pick up the basketball and go down to the local court and shoot by myself for an yeah. hour. I also would referee games as well. So when I was in year 10, I coached the under 10 team for my club. Then uh, ref the under 12 and then I'd play in the under 16s and so it was like there was a game in between where I could go and warm up with my team get changed all that kind of stuff but it was like really Friday nights as soon as school finished like ride my bike to the basketball coach ref play that was <laughs> like I only did that for one year but like every other like every Friday night for from when I was like five to 16 was at the Bernie basketball center Every single Friday night. When did you stop playing competitive basketball on on whatever level? Yeah, so year 11, I got a job uh, at a supermarket and it was like clashing with the Friday nights. And I was like, you know what? And I'd, I'd kind of been burnt out by what I deemed at the time unfair coaches because I was short. I was getting like benched. I wasn't starting anymore, even though I knew I, I was had better skills than some of the guys on the court. But... They were just bigger, and I wasn't. And so I remember being really annoyed. I got like, so they had the state kind of trials under fourteens, and I was from my city. There was two of us, or maybe three. So there was three of us who went along, and uh, I didn't even get a turn in the game because I was the smallest. And it was like this is bullshit. Sitting on the bench, and. Uh, the other guys who were all pretty much the same ability, they made the team. I didn't. And it kind of gave me that chip. And I'm like, this sucks. This is not fair. Just because I'm like a foot smaller than a lot of them. I can still I can still dribble the ball. I can still call the plays. I Yeah. But I'm over it now. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sport is a really good introduction to a lot of the great aspects of life and a lot of the shit aspects yeah. of life especially the the politics you know it's like I, I, do you wonder sometimes if the reason you've maintained a career in the comedy world is you see political things play out and you go oh yeah that's under 14 bernie basketball right there i remember like with before i had kids i was like i want them to play team sport and now i've changed i just want them to be a part of a team or a group it doesn't have to be sport if it, they're in a band or a choir or whatever it is, that just because you might be really good, other people in your group might not be, and that measures what your team is. And so 
And it's how you deal with those kind of diversity other than just, oh, I lost. That's why I always say tennis players when they retire, no good. Because they've <laughs> – or you see them always great in the juniors and they get to the men's. Even Roger Federer took a f- three or four years before he could adapt yes. and start winning again. And then he's the gentleman of the sport. But the first couple of years, he was a brat. And so yes. I, get, I get that mentality as well. That's what got you to that great position of thinking I am the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. And it's how you deal with those diversities when you, you realise you're not the best. It's a really interesting conundrum to come up against and find a way to keep going yeah. to uh, improve, even though you know, especially on a team, like that guy over there is actually our best player. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you can't keep aspiring to be better at the same time. You, as a short guy, and I'm a short guy as well, did you have this happen to you, which was one of my best friends is ex-Australian basketballer Brett Wheeler, who's six foot ten, and uh, we shared a place back in our 20s in Adelaide. And I saw a photo of us once, back in the day when you had to wait 24 hours to get your photo, and I saw a photo of us in our late 20s, and he's six foot ten, and I'm five foot seven, five eight in heels, and I realised how ridiculous we looked, and it was genuinely the first time that I'd ever contemplated literally how short I am. Like, I kind of knew it as a, as a thing, but I'd never kind of had it as a, as, as a, as a person, as a, as a trait. Yeah, I, I didn't know anyone that tall. So I, none of my people I was playing with were 6'10". There was a guy who we played with who was like about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. And he... Yeah. I what I was annoyed at because he didn't like basketball. He was only playing because he was tall, <laughs> and it used to frustrate me so <laughs> much. Guys. I know, and it's the it's same as playing footy. And I get it. If you're a ruckman or a centre in basketball, it's not fun. You've got bodies crashing into you all the time. But I was always so angry at like, especially ruckman, just going, "Well, just stand in your position. Why aren't you doing this?" And I was like, "Oh, only as an hour, I realised they don't want to be doing this." They probably want to be doing other stuff. I don't know, but it's, I always found that really funny. Just going, if I give me four inches, and I'm in, I'm in this game. I am con- completely controlling this game. But when I played, when I played football, I was in year ten. Quite, I didn't get my growth spurt until I was like year eleven. And so super small, but like played footy all my life, and then I was our team's leading goal scorer but I only ever kicked goals in the first quarter because I played in the forward pocket. And in any football team growing up, your worst player always played in the back pocket. And you're like, when you're going down, and this is high school, so you don't know the other team at all. You just go, all right, he looks like he's athletic. And, and so I always got in the first quarter their worst player. The guy who didn't want to be there was only there because either his older brother was really good or <laughs> his dad really wanted him to be there. And so I was, I kicked Pretty much, I remember like four or five games where I kicked three goals in the first five minutes until they went, all right, you get off him, put someone else on him. And then it was, I didn't score again. But it was that great thing of like leading the goal kicking only in the first quarters. Put Jill down there now. Let's try and get the score up and then we'll yeah. work it out. Then we might put him on the ball later, yeah. I love that. I wasn't allowed to play footy. My uh, mum said to me, that, that's the reason I took up basketball, actually, was because I wanted to play sport in grade three. And there'd been a, there'd been a player in the South Australian League who had been tackled and ended up in a wheelchair. It was a really awful accident. And mum who, so, you know, what's, 
what, you're seven in grade three. So my mum at this stage is a single parent at 26. And she said, I've seen the way you play sport. You are the idiot that's going to be hurling yourself on the ball and you're going to be crunched by all of these people. And to be honest, I don't want to spend the rest of my life wiping your ass because of some idiot jumping on your back while you've got a footy. The only sport we were told you're you're never playing that was hockey because uh, my mum was the licensee of the hockey club. And she knew that all the kids who didn't, who couldn't play like either basketball or like cricket or football would play hockey. That would be the sport that a lot of the people who were like, oh no. And she goes, and they're all uncoordinated, but they've given them sticks. You're not playing that. It's just not like, <laughs> and knowing the people who did play, I'm like, yeah, that is right. Those guys in my class were the guys who were like, well, I don't want to play football. I don't want to play basketball. Hockey's all right. We can run yeah. around, hit a ball. It's fine. Your mum's looking at her son just going, nah, you know yeah. what, I like his cheekbones there, I like his nose the way it is. I'm fine with all We've of We've spent this. a lot of money on those teeth already. We're not getting new ones. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I'm curious, uh, were you learning to play guitar at the same time as playing sport or did the music come after? Music came after. So I went to drama school in Launceston and no one there was into sport at all there was like four guys in my year and none of them were into sport and so I kind of I would watch football but that was about it like this was 99 so it's also it kind of coincides with Jordan being out of the league so I kind of dipped out of basketball that at that stage kind of was into more your arts and I'd always been into music anyway but never played and it was a girlfriend of mine when I turned uh, eight, uh, 21. She bought me a guitar. And it was almost, it, it wasn't a, you think you know everything about music, so you, you write some songs. It was a genuine, I think you can write songs. But the first, the first couple of songs I wrote were comedy songs because I was like, well, I don't want to write serious songs and then be no good. But if they're comedy songs, if they're funny songs, that's, okay if people don't find them good because it's like who cares it's a little throwaway song yeah that's so funny isn't it it's like there's less stress yeah. because if it's if the joke doesn't work that's fine a, you're still playing yeah. guitar but if if, if it's serious yeah. and it's a, a stinker yeah the embarrassment is yeah. more acute isn't it so I, i'd been playing for about a year and then a group of people who i was kind of went through uni with we'd all kind of graduated at this stage were doing this improvised theatre show that sounds horrible, but it was actually really good. Like, And it was called BGN 7250. So it stood for Bogan and 7250 was Launceston's postcode. And it was like, everyone had a, a character. My character was Chuka. I was a kid from Zeon who had like, been adopted by the family. It was kind of a, a soap opera where the first half was kind of like, we'd like sketched out what was going to happen. And then... We'd have a break and then we'd get suggestions from the audience and then the second half would do what the audience suggested should be the end of the show. And then... Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. In the week, we're like, all right, this is where it ended this time. We write the first half, get the audience suggestions for the second half. And so... And that was kind of how I got into doing comedy as well because a guy saw me at that and went, hey, I'm bringing out Rod Quantock. Do you want to be support? And so I was like, all right, cool. And then from that kind of snowballed into doing comedy. Isn't that just the the aspect of youth that you lose over time? And I know that I wish I could kind of grab hold of it again, which is 
there's because you don't have the experience, you don't have the sense that maybe you should shoot yourself. Yeah. For do it, saying yes to do that gig. Yeah. But the other thing was, it was always that thing. It was like, they said, oh, do about, you'll, you'll be hosting if you can do like 20 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I've got songs. I can do that. And it was, the, it was in Launceston. So I knew who the audience were going to be. So it wasn't like I was, it wasn't like big city where I was like, I don't know these people. It was people who I'd, even if I didn't know them personally, I knew them around campus. It was all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't too big a deal. But now if someone said that to me, I'd be like in my head about it. What, what age did you start doing comedy? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I would be in my head about it as well. I'd, I'd immediately be saying, can we get it down to 15? Yeah. <laughs> can we get it down to 15 at the very least? Uh, I was 21. So 2021, 20, yeah. So it was just young enough to not realise I should be scared of things and uh, early in, uh, but late enough that I had a bit of life experience. But, you know, we opened for, like we toured with, that uh, South Australian punk rock clown band called the Clowns of Decadence. And I look back on that, like I'm a much better comedian than the Bunter Boys were, but I look back on that time and I think, Jesus, like you guys, like that's amazing that you went out with your little comedy songs to an audience that really wanted to mosh. Yeah. I did, the Falls Festival was like my third ever gig. And I, <laughs> I went out there, I was the first act on on the second day and in my head, how I remember it, I absolutely destroyed. And I, I don't know if I did good or not, but in my head I was like, I am killing. And I've done the full festival since, and it's a, not a fun gig if you're a comic because the audience is so far away and they're laughing, but you don't hear the laughs. But this one was like, oh, I got the band on after me. I had a song, I said, hey, do you guys want to just play, where's your drummer? Just come up and play a 4-4 uh, beat and I'll play a song over that. And I just improvised a song and people started moshing to it. And it was like, this is, I, I'm set. And then I'm like, I would never have the confidence to do that now. Like, I would never just oh, go, no. hey, you get up and we'll do something fun. It's always, I'm always overthinking everything these days. Oh, the joys of the audaciousness to just say to the drummer, hey, let's, <laughs> let's, let's just jam to all these people. Oh, man, that's so, but I love it as well. It kind of makes me feel a bit uh, emotional remembering all those gigs that you would say yes to. Yeah. And, uh, and with with the songwriting, I'm curious, uh, I was talking to George Mooney about this. When did the singing come into it as well? Did that go hand in hand because you were yeah. a solo act? When or? I was learning guitar, I was singing songs. So I, I learnt pretty much, uh, there's an Evan Dando live album that I pretty much was like, I want to learn all these songs and just learn Lemonhead songs. And so I, I sometimes joke that, if I was into Metallica, I'd be a lot better guitarist because I'd be learning better, so like <laughs> more complicated songs because I was just learning three or four chords and that's all you kind of needed. I, yeah, I'm very basic in how I can play guitar. But yeah, it was always at the start, but I was very, I, even my singing style now is just pretty much talking it. I mean, I can sing if I need to, but in comedy, I'm always like, well, I just, as long as I can hear it, I don't need to show off that I can sing a little bit. Uh, that that can ruin a comedy song. It's such a weird thing to say. Sometimes if you sing just a little bit too well, you're sitting there and you go, I don't know yeah. what you said. Because what happens is people at the end are going, oh, that was funny, but also you've got a really good voice. Why don't you just do music? Which is such a backhanded compliment. <laughs> but it is that thing of like, I was talking to Geraldine Quinn about it because she gets it all the time. She's like, oh, you're such a good singer. And she's like, well, I, I fucking tried. 
okay? I try to do just music. And now, because she's found her niche, she's an amazing cabaret performer now. And it's that thing, it was like kind of, I think it just takes a bit to go, right, what, what are my skill sets? And you just got to kind of go, oh, yeah, I, can, I know I can write funny rhyming couplets. <laughs> That's my skill. Yeah. I know how to uh, tell a story with rhyming couplets. And, yeah, I don't need to be showing off how I can play a diminished seventh chord. <laughs> if, you were to, uh, if you were to get in a position where you were just creating music at this point in your life, is there a career that you kind of look at and you think, ah, that's the artist that I wish I would, yeah. like, in, in, in my wildest dream could be? Yeah, it's always, it's kind of weird. Like, so I really respect Darren Hanlon, who's an Australian singer-songwriter who's great yeah. and seems to be, like, never had any real commercial success but loved by the people who love him. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And he'd be, I'd say, early 50s now and just living the best life. He's writing songs. He lives in country uh, Queensland and... He seems like he really loves songwriting still, doesn't seem too jaded. He probably is. I don't know. Most people who have been in a career for that long do get a bit jaded. But outside looking in, he can, you know, tour places he want to tour. People go there. It's just him and a guitar. Doesn't have to deal with, like, like the dynamics of having a band. Yeah, because people like that, I'm like, oh, that's – I think you've figured out how to do it. Like, you do the gigs you want to do – you write the songs you want to write. You're not writing for because, all right, well, I had a big hit with this one, so let's try and write another song that sounds like that. It's just, yeah, I think yeah, something like that. There's is, a freedom to it. Yeah, exactly. Something like that is when you're starting out, you probably don't think that's the career I want. You probably think I want to be on billboards and on the cover of magazines and Triple J play all the time. But I, I would say that comes with a certain kind of every single release has to be bigger than the last and it you just can't yeah. sustain that yeah it's a brutal pressure and it's also there's more likelihood that you might end up with some fans who have come through a, a means that doesn't really make a lot of sense for who you are as an artist yeah. and i i often talk about i don't have the biggest social media following but i also haven't really done a lot of shows that get me the wrong people following me. And I always think about, uh, I was just talking about this earlier uh, with uh, Eddie Perfect, yep. you know, Eddie Perfect being abused for showing political now and finding out that 
person was a fan because of offspring. Yeah. It's and so you you want to avoid the the fair weather fan that can apply some pressure and then ruin your creative process. Yeah. I think there's people like also like someone like Jeff Tweedy and Wilco is another band who I'm like they're clearly doing what they they have control of everything pretty much. Like they had their big kind of late 90s kind of uh in the machine almost with success and success and a bit of like radio lots of radio play actually and then they had that album that the record company were like we there's no hit on this we're not going to release it and it took them a year to pretty much buy it back sell it to another company who ended up being owned by the company who said we're not going to release it so they've actually this company's paid for the same record twice and then it went on to be a massive hit and that story is pretty much the story that got them a lot of fans because they're like yeah we hate the what record companies are doing to artists Let's support and champion this band. And there's a documentary um, called I'm Not Trying to Break Your Heart, which is about that period in their life. And there's a scene where Jeff Tweedy just wants to buy a soda for his kid and he doesn't have enough money, so he has to ask the camera operator, oh, can we just borrow $2 so I can get him a juice or something like that? And it's like you look at that and go, yeah, because like, all their money was tied up in a record company who paid for – people they didn't need to and the artist is actually the one going oh i don't have anything at the end of this okay so that's how you end up with david bowie's let's dance was because of management ripping him off for all those years and he had to make his suddenly he had to make his money somehow yeah i've just been listening to a talking heads documentary which after like their third album the band members not david burnt the band members had no money it's like at the time they were like one of the biggest bands in the world and going all right we've finished touring and we've got no money Okay, we better we better release solo albums so we can actually get some money. Uh, like that's that's heartbreaking, isn't it? Like because the 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 dream is to be in the position to create whatever kind of art you want to create and find an audience. And they did all of that, and then yeah. they were ripped off. I think I'd like to be if I was in a, in a position where I could make music. I think I'd like to be like. Johnny Greenwood or Atticus Ross. So you're you're alongside Tom York or you're alongside Trent Reznor and you're playing live concerts, but you're also making soundtracks and having fun with that. And you're off in the side noodling about uh, <laughs> while the while the lead singer's getting all the all the attention. The comedian Nish Kumar has a great bit about he wants to be the drummer from Coldplay because no one knows who that is. But he like <laughs> <laughs> But he's in one of the biggest Yeah. Biggest bands in the world, but no one could tell you who he is. And you get to do all these cool things, make all this money, and not have to be bothered. But there is a member of Coldplay who doesn't go on stage. He's been with the band from the very start and is like their secret sixth or fifth. I don't know how many members are in the band. But he's never been on stage with them. He just plays off to the side and just kind of gives them more texture and stuff like that. But he's been with them from day dot. Oh, I didn't know that. He, is he like the fifth member of the young one? Yeah, it's that thing of going, he is, <laughs> yeah, he's Ben Elton of there. <laughs> Hiding in a corner. Yeah. But Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, and so that's kind of like you go, the older you get, or the older I get, the more I'm like going, yeah, that's, I bet that guy has a great life. Yeah, he's making the coin. He's getting the artistic yeah. uh, opportunity to express himself. Yeah. And he can also go and buy the milk yeah. and no one bothers him. Yeah, because it was always that thing when like, when Radiohead came out without, and they're like, we're not going to release singles, we're not going to do any press kind of stuff and 
there were times where they weren't even touring and stuff of that. And part of me was like going, why are they doing this? This was like in the year 2000. Like, if you're not going to release it for people, just don't release it. Just make the music and keep it for yourself. And now I'm like, oh, no, I, I get it. Like, they totally... It's also, also the UK tabloid uh, is just so brutal. You can understand why people, uh, you know, shy away from the spotlight because of it. But um, uh, so... I have to thank you for the so for everyone listening. Josh and I had been texting back and forth about music, etc. And uh, you said that you'd been listening to uh, the Idols album "Joy as an Act of Resistance," which I was not across, and I have thrashed and really loved it. Has, has this been your get through the pandemic quarantine album yeah so this album came out in 2018 and it's it's always high rotation when i'm listening to music on my headphones in my house and uh they've got a new album coming out in like a couple of weeks less than two weeks actually and so i thought i'll get back into listening to this album a lot and it is such a great album so they're uk kind of i guess punk band in the best term though and in that it's political it's social it's got energy and i really dig it i think the i think joe talbot who's the lead singer of it he's uh got a great message in his songs and also they look like they're having fun that's the other thing i like about bands when you go oh yeah you actually do enjoy being in his band yeah you're into it yeah because that's because you also to once again you kind of project a little bit it's like well i'd like to to have fun. Like if I was four inches taller, I could be in that band. Yeah. <laughs> and especially if you're playing this music going out and like Friday, Saturday night, people want to have a fun time, jump around. And it is that thing. What I like about them as well is sometimes with that kind of music, it is very macho in the worst kind of like, it's just jump around, jump into people kind of who cares? It's that punk rock. Yeah. Whatever, man. But it's like, you no, know, sometimes you have to have a conscious and go, you know what? We, uh, we have a platform, so let's not waste that. And they do this great thing where they don't like they get people on stage, but they're like, we don't have guys on stage because it's just the energy is bad. It's just people up here trying to jump around and jump off the stage. And so we only have if we have people on stage, it's only the women on stage. So, and I went, I went and saw them at the start of last year, and uh, they were great. They stopped the concert because they were like, hey, you, you got to just settle down. We can all have fun, but you, you're jumping into people who don't want to be jumped into. So just jump up and down. And, the guy, and another great thing at the gig, a guy lost his uh, wallet and uh, he got pulled up on stage and he said, I've lost my wallet. And so, uh, oh no, lost his phone. And so they stopped the, stopped the show and said, everyone, look down. Can you see a phone? Great. And someone put it up and they passed it to the front. And so there you go. That's how you find a phone, people. It was great. <laughs> Once upon a time, it was someone being pushed to the front to, to crowd surf, and now it's uh, the returning of a phone. Well, the thing that I really noticed about it was a lot of the lyrics. It it sounds like what I'm about to say is an insult, and I don't mean it this way, but to me it sounded like sensitive punk. Yeah. And there's there's uh, I think it's the song I'm Scum, where he's pushing back against why he doesn't want to be into James Bond, yep. which really stood out to me. And there was Samaritans where he does a play on the Katy Perry lyric and he, uh, he, he kissed a boy and he liked it. And, but it's all within this, the, the trappings of punk. It's got the, 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 uh, 
distinguished guitars that uh, sounded like the Strokes at some points. And yeah, I, I found it uh, to be a fascinating listen. It, it is really funny because it has that, you're right, with the juxtaposition of like the, the lyrics as opposed to what the music, like you could just go and on a very kind of bass level jump around and enjoy the music. But if you want to enjoy it, on a, you can listen to the lyrics and go, oh, I'm really into what this guy is saying. And it's all very much that kind of fighting against that like macho posturing kind of stuff that a lot of, I'm guessing, the music industry has amongst these guys. And I think like he's also very open about therapy and he's like he's had his demons and he doesn't pretend that he's perfect, which I think is refreshing from some of that. And also, there's a lot of humour in the lyrics as well. I remember the first song that got me really hooked, uh, the opening line is, um, I'm sorry, your granddad's dead, uh, lovely spread, which is just for, <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh so much because it's like, oh, yeah, I, I totally get that. <laughs> I don't know what to say in this situation. Uh, lovely spread. And then it goes, I scored a win, butter, butter, bing. Yeah. And there's another another song called Never Fight a Man with a Perm, which is Oh yeah. Which is the second song of this album, yeah. Which is just one of those great lines. Like, yeah, it's like a f- very funny, very astute observation. I love it. When I first brought it up on Spotify and I was looking through and I saw that and it was a as soon as I saw that title I was immediately like, Well, I'm gonna not put this off. I'm gonna yeah. listen to this now. <laughs> There is something uh, there is something astute about that, isn't there? This is this is my argument with people who, when when they say they don't like the movie The Dark Knight Rises because they say Bane's voice sounds funny, and it's like yeah, yeah, like it it is funny. Like, have you never been in a bar at four in the morning and you're talking to someone who sounds funny, and then they say something and you go, oh, I'm fucking in trouble. Yeah. I need to get out of here now. <laughs> and uh, a man with a perm, mate, he knows yeah. how to fight. <laughs> Uh, is so. How do you listen to music? Do you do you have to do it on headphones? Yeah, headphones are in the car. Yeah, uh, I, I do a lot of my listening when I'm at the gym. So that's how I discover. And, and I guess this is why I've stuck with this one because it is that kind of you can work out to this. It's good. Like like I said, like it's got the energy that you can just put on the background. You don't have to really sit and listen to it. Or if you want it, you can do the vice versa. So yeah, big always with headphones. A bit in the house, but it's also always that thing of my kids were like, can I choose the next song? I'm like, yeah, of course, you can choose the next song. I'm not going to. But they're into, they play this game called Geometry Dash, which is like this kind of like just a, you press a button, you jump something. Um, but it has lots of EDM, <laughs> EDM music underneath it. And so they're listening to a lot of electronic music. And so that's what they're into. And my wife is very much a fan of that style of music. So I'm like, all right, everyone can enjoy this. Here we go. We're all... Lots of computer noises. <laughs> oh man, I do. Do you think like do you have that experience and then think back to the music that you were, you know, inc- forcing your mum to listen to? Uh, I think about that. all Yeah, the time. I see. I was always a headphones kind of guy. It was almost like this is my secret kind of what I'm listening to because my parents never re- they would never put music on. To enjoy, they had the TV on all the time. That's what their noise was in the house. It was never music. And my dad liked Credence. My mum liked Tina Turner. But that, I couldn't tell you other stuff. Other people they listen to when they drive. Neither of them have the radio on in the car. Yeah, right. yeah. And so I. That's fascinating. So I remember we got a CD player when I was in year seven, and so and headphones, and so I'd be sitting in the lounge room 
listening to it. The first album we got was Vitalogy by Pearl Jam. And so, yeah, listening to that with headphones on, like, you know, and because I only had like three albums to choose from. So it was like that, Mariah Carey's Music Box and the Priscilla soundtrack. Oh, yeah, so it's Pearl Jam all the way. Well, honestly... So the Priscilla soundtrack's pretty great. I reckon I listened to them all pretty much evenly. I was like 13. Like, yeah, it was that thing. I just just wanted to consume music and go, all right, this is what I'm going to listen to. But, yeah, even like at 13 going, well, I'm not going to skip the track Bugs. I'm going to listen to it every time because it's what's on the the CD and go, all right, here we go. I'm going to try and get something out of this other than just this was put on the record to I don't know why. But, yeah, it was so so weird. I remember listening like... Really liking REM as a kid and buying New Adventures in Hi-Fi, which is their, of all their albums, the hardest one to get into. It's a great album, but it's all like... I agree totally. It's a hard album to get into, but when you break it... It's all like seven-minute tracks and like me at 14, 15, listening to that, I'm like going, that's a really odd thing to be a kid in a small town in like Tassie who's no one in the family is really into music going, well, I, I like... Uh, I liked Everybody Hurts and so I'll listen to this and having to listen to it because it's like, well, I've paid for this with my own money. I don't want to admit that I've made a bad purchase. So I'm invested. Is it even uh, – it's, it's not It's not like you're making a, a bad purchase. No. It's, it's the album I always use as an example uh, that I didn't get and I needed to learn more about music to enjoy was uh, Bowie's Young Americans. Yeah. And I, but I, I didn't really know a lot of soul music when I first listened to it. I didn't really understand the better side of uh, the disco sound. Uh, it just it just took a while for me to understand it. But then I went and discovered other musicians in a similar sphere. And then by the time I came back to it, I was like, oh, no, this is actually great. Yeah, I reckon you and I are very similar that we follow our artists that we like, like their sporting teams. We don't give up on them. Just when they, I think, like, I will stick by a band four or five albums in if I haven't li- like if I've not liked an album in five five albums. I'll still go. Well, I'll li- I'll give this one a crack. I'm still supporting them. Like, yeah, I did that with the new Pearl Jam album. Haven't enjoyed a Pearl Jam album for a while. Listen to it. Like easily half a dozen times in two weeks. Yep. And thought, oh, yeah, that's a little bit better than others yep. and have not gone back. So the, the band for me that took me many, many years <laughs> to finally go, they're not for me anymore, is Bell and Sebastian. Their first, <laughs> their first four albums I loved. Couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. And then yeah. as people, they evolved and went, well, we're not really into that music anymore. We're going to make this kind of music. And that's not the music I like, but I still bought six of their albums when they're making that music. Even bought, they made a film called Write About Love that I watched and went, this is not for me, but I bought the soundtrack even though I didn't even like the film. I'm like, well, I've just got to have everything. I've just got to consume it. Uh, I've just got to, yeah. So I respect that so much. I feel like I'm about to, I'm, I'm two albums into that journey with Arcade Fire. Yeah. <laughs> I love the first three albums and the last two I'm like, well, you know, it's not like I completely respect an artist going in a direction that they want to go and it's not for me, but I'll keep buying it and hopefully I'll catch up or something will happen. goes back to the kind of uh, fandom that you've <laughs> cultivated as well. Like you've got people who follow you like you're, a te- you're, you're their team and they'll follow you. Yeah. They come along and they see the plays and they yeah. think, what the fuck? Just stand there with a microphone and tell me that you've watched Batman. 
Well, with Eddie, Eddie's got people who like he won the he won the the grand final with Offspring, and so people jumped on the bandwagon. Oh yeah, yeah, my dad supported Eddie Perfect when he was younger, so I support them. But you don't really support them. You just wanted to be with the grand final, and now yeah. You know who I got surprised by this year, which is a little bit the reverse because I actually like this artist in other areas, uh, but have always been a bit tepid towards their music. Uh, but I really love the Childish Gambino album. Oh, okay, yep. But I've always been a bit tepid on that stuff, and then I listened to this one, and I was like, like, don't get me wrong, I feel like it's his Prince Stevie Wonder yeah. album, but that's fine because I love Prince and Stevie Wonder. Yeah, I really like Childish Gambino, but then it kind of got, I felt bad because there's a show in America in New York called The Breakfast Club. It's like a hip-hop radio show. Charlemagne the God hosts it, and he doesn't like Childish Gambino because he's like, it's hip-hop for white guys with backpacks. And it hit me <laughs> so, so much in my heart that I'm like, oh, oh no, I'm a cliche. I really like it, but oh no. Like, and it was always that thing, like, and you go, I want to be an ally. I want to, because I was like, I really like J. Cole. I really like uh, Kendrick. But then I also like this. And he's like, that's for white people with backpacks. I go around, I, if I see a Childish Gambino gig, there's a lot of white dudes just standing there with backpacks. They're not dancing, they're enjoying it, but they actually just want to be seen there. I'm like, not for me. And I'm like, oh no, he's got me. Oh, that is, there's, there's times when you realise that you do fit the cliche mould though, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. When that book, when the book uh, Stuff White People Like, I was like, oh no, he's got me. No. <laughs> I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> that, was, that was me uh, by myself uh, in the line to seeing the first day of Tenet at the yeah. cinema and going, oh yeah, there's a lot of middle-aged men by themselves here with masks <laughs> and uh, willing to get COVID. Yep. <laughs> I'm with my peeps. <laughs> did you hear the uh, Did you hear the new Fiona Apple album? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I. Um, oh God, it was so good. That's what I was because people were talking about the Taylor Swift album, the new one, which is a fine yeah. album as well. But I was always like, going, well, this is kind of like Fiona Apple light. It's like if you if you're really into this, there's also Fiona Apple. You know that. Like you can yeah. just listen to a Fiona Apple album, and that's yeah. kind of who she's. Not in, I don't know if she's inspired by, it, but it's kind of to me. It sounds like in this lockdown period, she listened to a lot of Fiona Apple and went, "All oh, right, cool. That's how I'm feeling. I'm going to write some songs like this." But yeah, I really like. And I was talking about this with uh, comedian Claire Hagen. With Fiona Apple, he's one of those artists that you go, "Why are you not bigger? Why are you not like?" Because I, she's got some really great songs and beautiful melodies, but it's also interesting enough that you want to keep going back to it and. There's a few artists like, so I'm trying to think of why is like. Well, she doesn't play the game, does she? Like she, when she first came along, uh, you know, she's so stunning and they quickly tried to put her in a certain position and she was just too smart for everyone and she rebelled against it immediately and. I guess it's like five to six years between every album because she just kind of works on it at her own pace. Yeah. And... But my, my thing was like, so kind of Beyonce is amazing and Beyonce is should be the biggest pop star in the world. But I'm also like, then why isn't Janelle Monae as big? Because she is as talented. And you go, this is, I'm not sure if it's a, there can only be one and that's, and Beyonce's the chosen one. But for me, it's like, well, Janelle Monae has the hits. Her Letterman appearance when she did uh, 
oh, I forget the song, but it's like the whole band's dressed in black and white suits. She's dressed in the black and white suit. She does the kind of like the Prince dance. It's amazing. You know, like that should have propelled her to the next level. But I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know why. Maybe because she's also that little bit isn't going to play the game. She's a bit more androgynous than someone like a Beyonce. And yeah, it's it's fascinating that whole world of like some people just make it and some people have all the talent and they. I mean, Janelle Monae's got an amazing career. Yeah, for sure. It's it's not saying that she doesn't have it, but it is when when you're doing the side by side comparison, it gets a little bit. Well, hang on, they should be up there. Uh, I, I won't keep you for too much longer because it's a Saturday afternoon and. Uh, by the way, I should have probably explained to people the reason we started talking basketball yeah. was because we'd organised to record and your basketball team was playing and it was looking like it was going to go into overtime and I was watching it closely thinking, I am not going to talk to Josh at 2pm if uh, this game goes into overtime. And then I, it finished and I, I found a message from you, which must have been sent with about eight minutes to go yeah. in the game. You saying, hey, if this goes a little bit This is longer. how bad my self-esteem is for my basketball, for any sporting team. Because I go from North Melbourne, so I don't have much esteem, much like, like oh, what's the word? I don't have much confidence in my teams. Uh, eight minutes to go, we're up by 10. And I'm like, I know where this is going. <laughs> I might just send Ham a little message. Hey, if this goes into overtime, can we... Uh... <laughs> Can we, uh, Can we maybe go? hold back a bit? Yeah, push back a bit. I want to share with you an album that I bought and listened to half a dozen times and then was like, ah, oh, this is a good album, but it's not for me. And I thought this might amuse you, but it was Harry Styles' first album because I liked him in Dunkirk. And yeah. I thought, oh, he was really good. And then the first song came out. I thought, oh, that's a pretty good ballad. It feels a bit like a bit of a glam rock ballad. And then I listened to the album and I was like, I reckon this is a really good album, but I'm also a middle-aged man and I do not think this is aimed at me. <laughs> I know. I, I love when you're savvy enough to realise that. I, I love it when people don't get that. They don't get that, yeah, they're not making it for you. Like when, when oh, I'm trying to think of like when people like Lizzo was hugely popular and there's all these guys going, oh, I don't get it. What's, uh, what is it? I'm like, yeah, cause you're a 40 year old dude. Okay. She's not making it for you. That's not who she's making it for. Like some people go, I'm making it for myself and I'm going to find my own audience. But yeah, Harry Styles, I really like Harry Styles and he's yeah, so do I. one of those pop stars. You like going, that's what pop stars should be like. I actually also like Justin Bieber these days as well because he seems he's come through all this in that machine and he seems to be in a much better place. And he's also, you cannot deny that his last album had some absolute banging, banging tracks on it. It was so well produced. Even if you don't go, oh, the songs aren't for me, the melodies aren't for me, the production on it was out of this world good which you, you can afford to when you're Bieber. But you also have to give the kid a, well, he's a young man now, but you have to give him some leeway because how, how strange is it to be a 14 or 15-year-old boy and having grown women scream at you in malls? Like if that, like I remember seeing footage of that and it, it kind of changed how I felt a little, like before I was just, you know, typical dismissive of it. Uh, but more probably in hindsight, the machine around him. Yeah. But when I saw that uh, footage in a in a little story about him, I was like, man, if if that was a fifteen year old girl and there were grown men screaming at him, we would be mm. saying this is not right, and I don't think this is right. And no wonder he was a little bit 
all over the shop with that kind of attention. You know what he should have done? He should have played team sports and then he would have <laughs> then he wouldn't have had those weird years where he's come to grips with it. He would have known, okay, yeah, this is this is not for me. This is for the team. <laughs> Did you ever see the game, the All Star oh. NBA game that he played <laughs> yes. and Scotty Pippen like just <laughs> look to be honest, it's one of the greatest things ever watching yeah. Scotty Pippen decide to play championship level defense on a pop star. <laughs> I love that so much. It's that thing of like because <laughs> you kind of think that tells the mentality of those high elite athletes. They're like, I am, I'm playing. There's no point just mucking around. This is a game of basketball. We're going to play. Okay, let's play. Which is yeah, so funny that they took it out on. It's always like Kevin Hart in those things or, yeah, they just take it out, take their aggression out on. Yeah, they, they work out who can take yeah. it and, uh, and then they utterly destroy them. <laughs> Before I let you go, is, uh, is there anything that you're looking forward to? Is there any music coming yeah. up? I'm really bad at kind of knowing what's coming up these days. I don't really know where to look anymore, so I'm always up for a suggestion. The new Idols album comes out on September 25, so it's called Ultra Mono right. and they've released like four tracks this year and they're great. So the song Mr Motivator is just a perfect song for 2020. It is just, it gets you up, gets you excited, gets you out of your doldrums. And so I'm really excited about that one. Uh, There's a band I really like called The Menzingers. They're an American kind of almost, I'd say, Springsteen-inspired rock band who are really good and kind of exciting. And there was a, a, a live album I really liked this year by a band called Japan Droids, uh, and they play it's like live Massey Hall in Canada, they're a Canadian band. And um that live album, it's just a two piece and you listen to it and you're like going, Oh man, the the sound these two can make out of their instruments is incredible. So yeah, so Japan Droids is great. One of the most inspired names for a yeah. band that I've heard in a long time. <laughs> Yeah, it was like it. It sounded so perfect for a moment. I thought I'd misheard you. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Oh no, I heard it correctly. That's amazing. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I'll definitely check that out. I'm always up for uh, music suggestions. And uh, also, just quickly before I let you go, how are you going in uh, lockdown? You doing all right with the? I'm doing okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard. I've got two kids, so six and nine, and so it's just hard with a six year old trying to keep him off screens. But right. we'll get there. And y- y- every now and then, you're like, well. Is this his like? Is his childhood being wasted here? Like, is it like because we had the summer of bushfires? So he couldn't go outside because of the smoke, and then this yeah. first year of school, and he's kind of only done seven weeks, and he's been off for the rest of it. But he seems happy, so it's like, well, that's all I can do. I can just make sure that he's happy and feels safe, and we'll get through it. And so, I yeah, a lot of our no screens, no screens, no screens has gone out the window this year. We're like, all right, well, what else are you going to do? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, what you need to do is just say, close up one of the room, put some lead light in yeah. and start playing that EDM and he'll be good to go for 15, 16 hours. Yeah. So no, apart from that, we're all, we're all good. We're all happy and healthy. So that's, that's all we can ask for. You're looking good. You're looking really good. So Thanks, mate. if that's any consolation in these, uh, in these times, especially knowing the Melbourne winter where a lot of, a lot of Melbourneites, are, when I lived there, I would do this as well. You become mildly opaque. Yeah. Like I, I'm making sure I do my hour outside. I, I've, I've started running, which I never used to do. Oh. Like, yeah. Why, why did you start running? Because the gyms were closed and I thought, I'm not, I'm not coping well. My gym was my place to go release any whatever I wanted to release. And so I thought, I'll, I'll go running. That would be good. I hurt my hip. 
I realised, oh, yeah, that's right. I, I turned 40 next year. I can't be. <laughs> but it was that thing of like, and I did that silly thing of trying to beat my PB every single time I went for a run. So I'm, I'm running 5K. Just that's it. Just 5K. Right. And I got down to under 23 minutes. I got 22.57. I'm like, that's, that's, that's pretty good. And then the next time trying to beat that hurt my hip. So I was out for two weeks, and I'm just now I'm back to going. Yeah, let's let's just take it a bit bit easier now, Josh. Let's just just do the five k and don't worry about the time. I just had a, a bad run with. I've stopped the gym as well. Like they reopen, and yeah. it's like I am not going back to the gym. Like that is insane. And so I've been doing running and walking yeah. because the thing, and I've spoken about this before. What took me by surprise is all my blood and sugar levels went through the roof because when was the last time I was at home at night for so many months in a row? Yeah. And I would have, I'm used to eating dinner earlier because you have to go to the gig yeah. and all of that stuff. I, yeah, I banned myself from tweeting after nine because uh, <laughs> everyone in my house would go to bed. I'm like, what am I going to do? And I was very, I think I told you this on my podcast, I'd, for the first two weeks I would drink whiskey every night, watch watch the last dance or listen to country music. Like I was listening to a lot of <laughs> sad country music and I, I was pouring myself Jordan level bot- like glasses of whiskey, oh. just going, you're about to have the yellow eyes. This has got to stop. <laughs> I've got to stop this. And so, yeah, <laughs> I was like that with the red wine. Yeah. I was just knocking off a bottle of red wine and yeah, it was, you know what? It's just enough to be a little bit way, but not enough to, Oh, yeah, you know, and but then it starts to deteriorate, and you have to get on top of that as well. Have you? Have you? I've been doing yoga with. Uh, do you know Adrian? Yes. Yeah, yeah, oh. she's great. I love her. Yeah, I, I wish she was my cousin. I I've been starting as well to try and fix my hip, and it's great. I love I love the fact that she is just like yeah, whatever's good for you, and it's fine. Like it's just very calm and very reasonable, and yeah, and her dog's great too. And her dog's fantastic. Yeah, I wish I was related to her because uh, I was saying to someone, that, oh, do you fancy her? I said, no, no, not at all. I wish she was like my cousin where there was a family event. He said, oh, I'm not going to that. And then someone says, Adrienne's going to go. And you go, oh, you know what? Yeah. Let's go. She's great. <laughs> uh, well, I'll let you go. Thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. And uh, let, let's uh, let's do a follow-up with the new Idols album. Yeah. Because uh, I'll be up for that. And uh, <laughs> Japan, Japan. Japan androids? Japan droids. Japan droids. That's it. Uh, suddenly when you're reading it, it suddenly yeah. was much harder to say. Look, I'm sure that people who listen to this podcast listen to yours, but in case they haven't, uh, where can people find you? It's called Don't You Know Who I Am? Just put it into any of the wherever you get your podcasts from. And yeah, at, at, as of recording, there are 222 episodes that you can listen to for free. There you go. And it's such a, it's, it's one of my favourite all-time podcasts to be on. Because Thanks, it's man. just fun, like it's a really fun podcast, and and it also because the the conceit of it is all the contestants you're using their social media, and I have discovered that I have little to no memory of anything <laughs> I've ever said on social media. So I'm always surprised when you say, "Nah, that's you." Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I've learned stuff. It is really fun, and during this lockdown period, it's been. An absolute godsend going, all right, I have to talk to four different people a week, which I think is, uh, yeah, a good excuse, especially for 
men of our age who find it hard to reach out go, yeah, I have to do this anyway, so let's, let's talk to some people. When you're not allowed to go and stand down in a park idly by yourself and hope to talk to someone yeah. throwing a ball to their dog, <laughs> might as well start a podcast. Yeah. So thanks very much for being on the podcast, Josh. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, buddy. Thank you to Josh Earl for his company and his song. Just a quick reminder before you leave that October 3rd is our live show, so please join us either in person or online through the site giantdwarf.com.au. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a nice rating and come over to Facebook and join our private conversation page where you can talk about whatever you're loving at this moment in time. They're good people over there and we're always up for a chat. I'm going to leave you with this John Cheever quote. Literature has been the salvation of the damned. Literature has inspired and guided lovers, routed despair, and can perhaps in this case, save the world. I hope you're currently reading a work of literature that is inspiring you in whichever way you need. Until then. fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.